let's all reframe how we interact with others and lead with how can we be helpful. It is not about giving up helping yourself because you will be helping yourself when you help others. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to episode 107 of the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of business leadership and practical love. Love the verb, love that inspires, connects, engages the hearts and minds of human beings to flourish in the workplace. Glad you could join us. We're now heard around the world in 150 countries. And by the way, seriously, if this episode strikes a chord with you, and I think it will, I just ask that you do one thing in return, share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast. Now, I have featured conversations with expert guests in the past that addressed the loneliness epidemic we've experienced in recent years. But you know what though? Even before this horrible pandemic shut us down and made everyone work from home, loneliness was already a thing. So people have hundreds of you know friends on, on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. You know, you may have thousands of connections on LinkedIn. Yeah, here's the thing, folks. Real connection is rather rare and elusive these days. So here we are, most of us, you know, still working remote and we've almost conformed to this idea that physical distance and human disconnection is like the norm now. And this is crazy to me. We've passively accepted that to be disconnected from other human beings is just the way it is. So I, I think more than ever before, we need to reverse this thinking. And more importantly, we need to reverse all of these trends that continue to disconnect us. Okay, so I'm gonna blame a little bit on technology, but we still need technology. So there's gotta be a proper balance there. So what's the solution? You know, it's easy for me to say, it's simply to commit to forging meaningful connections. Yeah, I'm the podcast host, you know, I can say that. But here's the thing though, how many of us actually do this on a day-to-day day-to-day basis you know figure out how to make meaningful connections not just in business but i'm talking about in life that's why i'm so thrilled to have susan mcpherson joining us today she has written a stellar new book it's called the lost art of connecting the gather ask do method for building meaningful business relationships well susan should know She is a self-proclaimed serial connector, and she's obviously a communications expert from her her past background. And she argues that we need to foster value-based connections by going back to the basics. Yes, technology, she says, is a tool and not a means to an end. So to forge lasting relationships, we need to learn to be more intentional and authentic and reconnect with people as human beings especially right now. And we're going to get into that discussion on how to do that. Susan McPherson is founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies, a communications consultancy focused on the intersection of brands and social impact. 
Susan has 25 plus years of experience in marketing, PR, and sustainability communications. She has appeared on NPR, CNN, USA Today, The New Yorker, and The Los Angeles Times, among others. Susan is a Vital Voices Global Corporate Ambassador and has received numerous accolades for her voice on social media platforms from Fortune Magazine, Fast Company, and Elle Magazine. And she now joins us. Susan, welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Wow, wow, wow. Well, first of all, Marcel, it's a joy to be here. And I love the message you're putting out in the world, you know, because we spend so much of our time at work in our lifetimes and we should be prioritizing love and goodness and kindness. And clearly that is what you're all about. So uh, thank you. And I'm honored to be here. Oh, thank you. I'm honored that you are here. I have a hunch though, that you're a lot about love too, Susan. So <laughs> thank you. all right, we kick off our conversations with this. Ready? Yes. What's your story? Well, I often say at this point, I've had nine lives, now 10 lives with the book, but I have to say, and this may not be as uplifting as folks want to hear at the beginning of a podcast, but at the age of just freshly 22, my mother was killed in a hotel fire. And talk about you know a complete stop and a 360 degree turn, your life changed. And I don't think at that moment, I crystallized what my future was going to be about. But my mom had spent her life doing public relations for public television because she believed in the goodness and she believed in the impact. And something was deeply seated in me after that tragic death that took a bit to, to evolve. But this notion of how do we bring the good out in people? How do we communicate that good? And how do we transcend all the pillars of society in tying that good together, whether it be business, NGOs, religious-based organizations, government, and how do we lead with impact? And I will take from you and love. And also this notion of we never know what we don't know and that we have to carry goodness and kindness in us because there's nothing more important. So that was seeded all the way mm. back in 1987. And if anything, if I can carry forth what she would have done if she had continued to live past 56, then that is what is the grounds me personally mm. and professionally. I can't help but <laughs> I just got to mention that the influence of your parents is sprinkled throughout your book. And I, I love the fact that you point back to those roots to where you are now. And so I appreciate that story. Thanks for sharing. I love that. Well, you describe yourself as a serial connector. So when did you discover that you had those superpowers? Well, there's a difference between when I discovered it and when I named it and owned it. I grew up, and you mentioned my parents, in a household in the late 60s, early 70s in upstate New York. And at the breakfast table every morning, there would be five local newspapers plus yesterday's New York Times, which would come a day late because, you know, those the mail was slow. And my parents would be sitting there massively clipping and cutting articles, which they would then put in respective envelopes after they typed on their manual typewriters, short little missives saying, thinking of you, cousin Harry, thinking of you, reporter Joan, because, well, at that point, it would have been reporter John. And my father, who was a college professor at a women's college for close to 40 years, not only would stay in touch with students, but their, his students' daughters and his students' granddaughters. So this was a common occurrence 
I thought everybody's parents did it. And as soon as I got my first fax machine in the late 80s, early 90s, all of a sudden I could do this to the nth degree. Although I will be honest with you, Marcel, I think some of those faxes are still somewhere out in the ether because <laughs> I don't really think they ever got to their destination. But it wasn't until 2007 that I went on a retreat with seven other very dear friends. And our goal of that retreat was to articulate, identify, and enunciate our superpowers. And it was during that weekend that I got the guts to be able and the boldness to be able to say, hi, I'm Susan McPherson. I'm a serial connector. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The first time I said it and the 10th time I said it, I almost peed in my pants because it sounded so ridiculous. But because I had seven other people who I admired and respected confirming, it gave me the guts to carry forward. So it was born in 2007. The book was written in 2021. So in your own words, okay, no, no copywriting here, all right? I want to hear from the heart. What's the big idea and what inspired you to write this book? Well, I think it's important to note because the title, The Lost Art of Connecting, the immediate assumption is this was written in response to the global pandemic. It was actually conceived four years ago. So long before we even knew this was going to happen, thankfully. But my goal was to get back to the world my parents had created, not to do away with technology. I, technology helps us connect, but our over-reliance on technology, our, the fact that we were all measuring our success of connecting by the clicks and the likes, the followers, myself included. I mean, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers here. Oh, I'm, no. I'm looking at, I mean, we were all, and we still are to a certain extent. We do that every day. And my goal was, again, to bring back that heart, that love, that humanity of it all. So I started to write the book in February of 2020. And of course, March, everything closed down and we know what happened. All we had were the clicks and the likes and the followers. However, during the 35 plus interviews I did for the book with leaders who have made building meaningful connection, priority to building their careers, to building their leadership, it gave me a renewed sense that, yes, we have become slaves to our technology, but if anything, through this pandemic, we have become far more intentional. And I do believe, and I am overly optimistic to a fault, but I do believe as we are going back out into the world, and I realize you have listeners, you said in 100 plus countries, many people aren't. So I want to be respectful and, and honor and know that, you know, there are some horrible, you know, India, Southeast Asia, Nepal. So I just want to be conscious of that. Not, yeah. not everyone has moved forward and we may have some steps back. But this notion of how can we be more intentional with our connecting? How do we, and this is the underlying theme of the entire book, is how can I be of help? Mm. How can I be of support? Rather than what we used to think about networking, where it was all about give me, get me, walk away with business cards. How can this person help me? Let's flip the script and pivot yeah. and be about how can we help others? This is a good segue. So before we get to that point where we shift our own minds about rather than being a taker is to be a giver. I'm borrowing from Adam Grant, give and take. Yeah, but, of course. Um, and he's featured in my book, by the way. Yes. He was interviewed. Yeah. Yes, he is. The idea of building meaningful connections is it should come natural to us. But yet you say that you have to connect with yourself first. Yeah. So why start with you first? And what are some examples of that? Well, it, honestly, again, I want to bring back that word intentionality. 
if we're just going to go out and meet and greet, which is fine, I'm not, I'm all, I'm all for people meeting people, people saying hello when it's appropriate and when you have the permission to hug people, I'm all about that. But I do believe if we stop and think about what, what are our goals, what are our hopes and dreams, and then layer in who do we want to meet, who do we want to reconnect with, who out of the people we know do we want to ask for introductions to others? It grounds us in our connections. It grounds us in our connectability, if that's even a word. And it helps us determine how can we build communities? How can we build constellations of connections to help us meet our goals? And how can we do that and also be helpful to others? Okay, I'm going to make a quick earmark in my brain about the constellation and network. So yes. <laughs> hold me accountable hold to that. Okay. Me, all right. But but let me back up a little bit to what you said. You know, so often you probably get the, even in, as we do this podcast, we're probably getting about five to 10 LinkedIn invitations. Yes. And, and uh, I get probably 10 to 20 a day. And some of them sound actually genuine. And so I will accept them into my network only to immediately see them trying to sell me something as soon as I accept their request. So to me, that's an automatically delete. So let's talk about this kind of this reverse way of connecting in a meaningful way. You talked about helping offer to help unpack that for us. What does that look like exactly? Well, let me let me ask you this, Marcel, Mm -hmm. because of course I, I get those types of requests as well. And then you connect and then you get the the sale or you know, the immediate ask. And what if somebody connected with you, articulated something that they knew about you, and then offered up to be of support? I bet you would look at it differently, correct? I would probably reply to that person. Yes, of course, of course. And if you couldn't, you'd make note and down the road you would. What I am suggesting is that when we reach out to others, which is completely a natural and good thing to do, and professionally, it's, it's advantageous, lead with how you can be helpful and go so far as doing a little bit of research about the person before you reach out to them. It's funny, you know, I joke because years ago in the 80s, I worked for USA Today as a researcher. And my research tools were the Encyclopedia Britannica, the Yellow Pages, and Microfiche, okay? Now I know people are like, oh my God, she's a dinosaur who are listening to this. But nowadays, you can look up anyone, anything even if they're a very private person and find out you know, on LinkedIn what their professional trajectory is. You can see what they've said that day on Twitter, something that may be you know, near and dear to them. You can find out if they have children or grandchildren by looking at their Instagram. So mm. you can find some mode, some nugget connection, let alone once you do that deep internal reflection, which is what I mentioned earlier, and find out how you can be helpful to others, then you have all the tools you need to actually reach out in a way that's going to make not only someone feel good, and I'm not suggesting we have to go out and make people feel good, but if you want to connect and if you want to find common ground and with people like yourselves, with people who are not like yourselves, et cetera, which is vitally important, you need to do that little bit of research. But instead of then immediately asking them for something, offer up something, whether it's an introduction to someone else, whether it's you know, a problem you might be able to help them solve, whether it's you found out on their Instagram, they love hummus and you know, a great hummus restaurant. Yeah. All right. So can I play devil's advocate for a second? Yes, of course. All right. So let's say that I'm hearing this. I'm going, yeah, but it's not going to work for me because I'm, I'm spinning my wheels and spending too much time on 
offering some help and providing a resource or maybe making a con making an intro to a, you know to another person and they're just going to take advantage of me and what i want to do is i have a business to grow does it actually yeah. work down the line yeah. well i can tell on? you yeah i founded my company at age 48 it's now almost eight years old 95% of our business has been inbound okay That means in my 20s, in my 30s, a good chunk of my 40s, all those people I supported, connected, introduced, etc., came back to help. And it's not like in my 20s I even had a glimmer that I was going to run a company. Not even in my early 40s. So it is not like I was sitting there manipulating this kind of person thinking, well, I'm going to help you and then guess what? I'm calling you in 30 years to come buy from my company. <laughs> it wasn't it, it wasn't even a feather in the cap if, if that's even a, a saying anymore. So, I think it's important to not look at this as an immediate transformation, an immediate turnaround, even though as humans we tend to like that immediate gratification, and those do happen. But I think this is the long haul. This is something over your personal and professional lives. So it does work. And yes, there are always going to be people who are not going to be responsive that aren't going to help. But you know what? I'm not going to say it here, but you know what? Make them go away, right? There's enough good people and in the research I did for the book, people want to help people. It's a massive generalization, but it is true. And those are the people once you do the reflection Are the people you're going to want to reach out to? And Susan, I'll add that people want to help people without right. expecting anything in return. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I hope I made that point. I wasn't thinking when I took these meetings and made introductions that it was like, oh, I'm going to come back. It was the joy of yeah. doing so. Yes. Now that speaks to the intentionality you're talking about. We're not intentional. I think that's that's the piece about being intentional, is it not? Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, look, we've been 15 months of hell, and obviously some of that continues. I can't expect people to be like all of a sudden, "Yes, I'm ready." But I also think this is where again that internal reflection comes about. And it's not a one and done, but over your lifetime at various points, at various reflection points, think about what your goals are, whether they're four years, four months, four weeks, and then think very intentionally about who are the people that you are already connected to that perhaps you want to reach out but also the people that you've not met that you could aspirationally want to connect with via the own that your own community that you already have i think sometimes we lose we don't realize just how many important and important i'm putting in not category of like millionaires and billionaires i mean important because they offer something that you don't know some tidbit of information that will help you learn something help you expand your horizons. So, yeah. I think it's it's important to make note of that. Let me bring back from my introduction about the loneliness epidemic. Yeah. Yeah. So, here we are. It's we are more wired through our devices than ever before 24/7, right? And yet we are more disconnected I think than ever before. Maybe you can validate that yeah. assumption, which is leading to this this loneliness epidemic even before the pandemic hit. Yeah. How do we address that, Susan? I mean, obviously the pandemic hurt, you know, made that a thousand times worse, but it, it, there there was an assumption for many years that this was just a challenge with elderly people, but actually teens and Gen Z are also. And I I will go so far and say a lot of it is the technology, you know, because we are 
we are one-on-one. We're not out. We're not, you know, chatting with people. From a contrarian perspective, I think parts of Zoom has made connection better because we have the side chat. And, you know, when we would be in office meetings prior to the pandemic, or many of us, you couldn't have a side chat with somebody during a meeting. You couldn't look to your neighbor and say, you know, really, how are you truly? Is there anything I can be doing to help? But you can with, with the chat. So I, I'm sorry, I'm, not, I'm probably not answering your question directly, but I do think that during this pandemic, again, that intentionality has broken down the loneliness. I am not a behavioral scientist, so I, I, and, and, I and I'm certainly not a psychologist, so I don't want to get too much into the, the weeds of, of loneliness, but I think one of the ways we can help ourselves be less lonely is by reaching out to the people that we know. And I will be honest with you, I have been completely solo for the last 15 months, which is not an easy thing for a person like me who is very much of an extrovert. So each day I would reach out to three to five people, just like brushing my teeth, like it was a, it was a complete habit. And my goal would be one to check in and, and just set, send a little bit of love, a little bit like my parents used to do through the mail. I would use WhatsApp, text, email, or I'd pick up the phone. I wouldn't necessarily expect a response, but the dopamine that came from reaching out gave me some solace. And sometimes it would be just, hey, don't forget me. So I, I think not to put the onerous on people who are lonely to do the outreach, but I think if we could just each day make a habit of doing just a teeny bit of outreach, that will help fill some of that that gut-wrenching feeling. Yeah. And for context, for my listeners to know, Susan is in Brooklyn. We all know when the pandemic hit just a few weeks after what happened to New York. Yes. Yes. It was horrible. And I would just, uh, for my own sanity, I took, I between, and I started calculating, but between September and March, I walked 1,600 miles in Brooklyn. So in wow. circles. But what that did was it grounded me to my neighbors, to the community, to the mm. people who own, you know, the shops that did stay open. And I would have conversations with people every day, which again, made me feel less alone. I yeah. still felt lonely many days, but it was a, it was a very healthy exercise, both from the walking, but also psychologically. Yeah. I mean, you, t- you took care of yourself. You, you were yeah. able to manage that your own state of loneliness by keep yeah. by staying connected with others, Susan. So yeah. there's gems right there that in, in your examples. Okay. In the book, you talk about <laughs> going from FOMO, right? Which we know is fear of missing out, FOMO, yeah. Yeah. to is it JOMO? J O M O. What is yeah. JOMO? It, <laughs> well, first of all, it is not what you think it is, which is typically joy of missing out, but rather the joy of meeting others. And that came out of, you know, I'll go all the way back before FOMO was even coined, you know, in high school when I would come back on Mondays from a weekend and you would learn about all the parties you weren't invited to. And then, of course, with the advent of social media, you would find you would be like sitting on your couch and in real time seeing all the parties you were invited to. But from a professional perspective, I learned early on in, in, in the early 90s that if you're not invited, if you don't have a seat at the table, make your own. And for the introverts in, in your audience, I'm sure they're like, no way, I can't do this. But what I learned is if you invite two people and ask them to bring two people, guess what? You're the convener you're bringing the people together. And there's joy out of that. There's love that comes out of that. There's power that comes out of that. And it grew out of a professional need. I was managing a sales territory 
in a region that the company I worked for was a, no one knew it. And so what I started was a, a, literally a group of five people that blossomed to about 150 people within six months, because each, each month people would bring additional people and additional people. And it became the place for public relations professionals to gather. This was in Southern California, but it grew organically based on people bringing other people. And it all started because I wasn't getting invited. And years later on my Brooklyn roof deck, I think I, I wouldn't even begin to count the number of fundraisers, book talks, baby showers, wedding showers, you name it. But again, for the introverts in the crowd, I invite others so that they invite others. And it takes a bit of the pressure off and it organically grows. I'm glad you brought that up for the introverts in us. Also, for those of us that have moved, because you know, once the pandemic hit, a lot of people moved to different locations, new cities, new neighborhoods. And I would wager that a lot of them actually f- may feel isolated and lonely as, as a result of that. You know, it's especially if you're an introvert, right? It's kind of nerve wracking to having to meet new people in a new city. Okay. Oh so my gosh. What do you totally. if well, uh, for those of us that have moved into a new town? It's a great question. And I have, you know, and, and again, I like to share that all of this is grounded in my own experience. And obviously I've made many, many, many mistakes and, and have failed at, at various times. But one thing I have found to be so grounding and so helpful is getting involved in local nonprofit organizations within your local community. Because not only does that expose you to people who are who have similar values, but potentially different from you, different cultural, different age, different race, different color, all the things that some, you know, given where we grew up, we tended to be very soloed and isolated. Yeah. So this is a, a very... I don't want to say strategic because it sounds so, I don't know, just doesn't sound pleasant. But I think when I look at all the different places I've moved, when I joined a few nonprofits, it really expanded my horizons and also helped me gain skills that I could bring back professionally. But more importantly, it, it really helped me ground me in the location, learn what was important in that community and make connections in that community that I normally wouldn't come in contact mm. with. And it also helps with the loneliness that you suffer when you do move to a new city. Can we bring this conversation about loneliness and, and having meaningful connections to the leadership side of, Absolutely. You know, of work? Okay, so Cheryl, what's a good starting point? I mean, in your studies and, and coaching work about how leaders can meaningfully connect with their employees? Well, it's interesting because right now there's this, if you just look at any business publication, it's how are companies going to be very mindful and intentional about connecting those who are working from home, as well as the expectation of people going back to the office. And that is, it's not like there's a handbook to do this. But I will say, in the research for the book, I came across a, a professor at Babson College named Rob Cross. Rob has been studying friendships and connections at work over the last 30 years or 20 years. Sorry, Rob, I didn't mean to age you. But (laughs) interestingly enough, when there are friendships at work, when there are meaningful connections at work, productivity skyrockets. People are much more likely to stay at the company. People are much more likely to recommend the company to those that they know and admire. So what I'm bringing that up is Let's make sure that connections from a leadership perspective, from a, a positions of power and privilege, let's make this a hard skill, right? Like, let's not relegate it to the annual sales conference or the monthly happy hour. Let's make time. But that needs to come from the top. That needs to come from leadership. 
how that can be can be, you know, depending again on the culture of the company, but it could be a five minute icebreaker at the beginning of every meeting that isn't about the weather. Okay. That isn't about what you had for lunch that day, but meaningful connections. Like if you could be anywhere at the end of this pandemic, if you could travel to any city in the world, where would it be? Or, you know, what was your favorite food as a child? And do you go about cooking it today? Because these types of questions really give you a sense of who people are and what their hopes and dreams are. And it helps find commonality in the uncommonality that exists amongst all of us. Yeah, I love it. I love the, all the studies coming out, you know, not only DEI, but just belonging and inclu- just having a community or having a workplace feel like a community. But I think to your point, you have to have champions at the top that are going to create that kind of environment where people feel connected. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And there are ways of doing it, even remotely. Oh, I, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am, interestingly enough, I had three of my team members who work for my company come to my roof deck and we worked outside together yesterday, two of which I had never met. They were hired a year ago during the pandemic. And so, you know, I can honestly say I we've just hired our 12th employee and Trying to manage, and you know, we've been virtual. I should back up. We've been virtual since the get-go, all the way back to 2013. But always had, you know, time to come together and meet when we'd be with clients or we'd have offsites and retreats. But this past year and a half, trying to forge connections amongst my team members was definitely a stretch. But I turned to that note, that calling card that I've always been, and that was a very vulnerable Susan. And by coming to work as my vulnerable self. I think, and I obviously, I you would have to interview all my employees, but I think that gave them the permission to be themselves in a way that perhaps they wouldn't have been if I was buttoned up, Susan. If I was the Susan in the '90s, that if if you shed a tear being a woman in the in the conference room, you were shown the door. It's funny you mentioned that because nowadays, you know, we're we're kind of merging the best of leaderships, being a a blend of masculine traits and feminine traits, and you have this really good balance. And uh, one of the guests that I had probably a year ago, he was a, a CEO of a fitness company, a, a amazing fitness company. And he says, I don't have any problems crying. It's not crying in the sense that you're thinking of. It's, it's showing your vulnerability, your humanity in times when things are getting challenging. And he says, I'm an emotional guy. And this is a guy that has like veins popping out of his arms because he works out. He's huge. You know, he's huge. <laughs> It's like, I have no problem showing my emotion. Wow. Uh, and sometimes I shed tears. And so what that Good creates for, him. for his environment is that he made it safe for others to, I'm not saying that they have a cry fest, but I'm saying that he is modeling authenticity and vulnerability for others as well. So I love that. I love that. And you know what? He, good for him. And also how lucky for the people who, who work with him and for him. Because yeah, it yeah. makes a difference for sure. Yeah. Susan, we have a love question before we wrap up. And here it is. Yes. I personally believe that leadership is an expression of love. And obviously you can't have love if you're not connecting right. to the, you know, the hearts of people from one human to another. So before we wrap up, I want to make the link between leadership in this now post-pandemic age to practical love and care. So for anyone that's just that just jumped on the call for the first t- jump on the the podcast for the first time, love here is a verb. It's not anything sexual, romantic. It's not a religious <laughs> term. Okay, it's a verb that inspires and engages 
the hearts and minds of people to do great things together for business outcomes. All right, so here's the love question. How does a leader love well day in and day out? I fail at it sometimes because I have complete imposter syndrome, but I think we have to look inside ourselves and think about what are our superpowers? What are our strengths? What can we be doing to help others? And when we can find that, then we can share with the people that we care about, the people that help us succeed, which in many cases, if we manage teams or run companies, therefore it is a reciprocal circle. Mm. And I'll just tell you an anecdote. One of the employees yesterday told me that in the eight months she's been with my company, it's the first place in her 30, well, she's 38, but she said that she's, that she's worked that is so filled with love and no drama. And I thought to myself, wow, if I could ever just bottle that for the days that I feel like, you know what, that is such a gift. So I must be doing something right, but they all are doing something right. So- that's awesome. That would be my answer. That's great. So before we close, is is there any question that I should have asked but didn't? You're just itching to like, oh, I wish Marcel would have asked me this. It may not be a question, but I think it's an important point that right now we are in a moment in time that has never happened to this generation and even the generation, the generation that came before us. And that is we have an opportunity for a reset right now. And obviously, depending on where you are in the world and where you are in, in re-emerging. But we have a time right now to be really intentional about building our connections, building our communities, and reconnecting with people before everything is back full bore, you know, whatever that normalcy will be. So I think it's a really good time for your listeners to be very intentional and even get that old notepad down and, and think about what your goals are and layer that with who is it that I want to connect with? And even aspirationally, but also who do I want to reconnect with? Who have I lost touch with? So I think that this is a really special, difficult, challenging, all the things, but it's also an opportunity to do this. Love it. Well, we end our episodes with two final questions. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like us to know? I miss my puppy. She had surgery back in May 20th. I had surgery May 3rd. So she has been upstate New York, outside of Albany, staying with a dear friend who happens to be a veterinarian. She can't come home till August. So I know that isn't, doesn't sound very professional, but it, I miss her. She is my sidekick and she was, you know, been by my side for six years. So being, being without her has been very, very challenging. Thanks for sharing that. Finally, you, you get to close us out your way, Susan. What's, what's that one thing, that final takeaway that you'd like to bring us home with? Let's all reframe how we interact with others and lead with how can we be helpful. It is not about giving up helping yourself because you will be helping yourself when you help others. I love it. Well, if people want to connect with you, where can they go? Where can they find out more about you? It's pretty easy to find me, but on all the socials, I'm Susan McPee one all one word. My company's website is McPherson Strategies and we do social impact communications consulting. And my book is The Lost Art of Connecting. So the website is thelostartofconnecting.com and you can buy it anywhere that books are sold. And obviously feel free to connect with me on the various various platforms, or you can even email me at susan at mcpstrategies.com. And I will make sure that I have all those resources on the show notes for this episode. You. And you can find them on my website, marcelschwantes.com. Susan, it's been real and it's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Right back at you, Marcel.
I'm coming right back with my one action item that you guys have to start doing today based on this conversation I just had with Susan. Hang tight. I'm going to boil this conversation down to this. People want to help people. So take Susan's advice. Take my advice. Stop trying to be a taker. Instead, be a giver. Create meaningful connections by bringing value to a new connection. You know, be a resource to someone. Offer to help. And don't expect anything in return. Down the line, and yes, it it may take a season or two, you're going to see returns. That wraps it up. Thank you, Love in Action Tribe, for joining the conversation. Please spread the love by sharing this episode. And finally, if you or your company would like to help us spread the movement, we're always looking for business sponsors to support us. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com, or find me on LinkedIn if you're interested. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Doing so will help more people to find the podcast so we can keep spreading the Love in Action movement. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and be convinced.